For the past seven weeks now, we've been working our way through a sermon series rooted in John chapter 11 and titled after the book, The Lazarus Life by Stephen Smith. The story of Lazarus is both an amazing drama and a prime example of the way that Jesus calls forth life from a situation of death. As a drama, the story of Lazarus has it all. It's got narrative suspense, love and affection, questions of loyalty, character, and authority. It has genuine peril and a surprising resolution. And if we read just past the actual story of Lazarus, we also learned uh, that, that this story is sacrificial in nature. The sinister plot to kill Jesus was the result of his raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the disciples, they were already following Jesus when this story took place. But what we find is that there's always deeper levels of commitment, always more to following Jesus than just a simple profession of faith. Now, over the course of the weeks we've been studying the Lazarus story, we've encountered the idea that in some ways, all of us are a little bit like Lazarus. We've heard of Jesus. We may have even placed our trust in him and grown in our relationship with him over the years. And yet there's still ways in which we're dead on the inside. There's still parts of us that we haven't fully handed over to him for any number of reasons. Like Jesus called Lazarus from his tomb, so we are invited to trust in him for new life as well, for a life outside of our tombs that entrap us and enslave us. So last week, we talked about the general idea of trusting in Jesus, of trusting his voice, his call to come out of the darkness and into the light. And we focused on the reality that it is just plain difficult to choose a journey of healing and transformation. But we also named the reality that just because something is hard doesn't mean it isn't good, and it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It's okay to fail. It's okay to stumble. It's okay to be afraid. Jesus does not require perfection. Jesus paid for our sins, and Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, does the work in us. But he won't do it against our will. So the call is, uh, is for us to have the faith of a mustard seed. That is the tiniest seed of the garden plants. Even the tiniest trust in Jesus can yield amazing results. So putting one foot in front of the other, we stumble forward after him. Now, for those of you who are hearing this and you still feel afraid to kind of come out, to move forward into the light, consider this sermon series kind of like laying a foundation. Like it or not, God will not abandon you. And the Holy Spirit is lovingly relentless. There will come a time in your life when you're ready and you may not remember every nuance of this series. I will not remember every nuance of, these, of this series. But you're going to have one more exposure to a pathway of healing and transformation to build on. But for those of you who are feeling the invitation to move, to even crawl toward the light, today's message is aimed at helping us to take a, a, a concrete step forward. It moves from the theory of what's possible, which we talked about last week, into what to do next. And I think that that's a great opportunity for us to pray. Lord, we need your help. We believe that you're calling us from death to life, 
And yet, for some of us, the grave clothes are all we've known. And it is scary to name them and to come out of them. And Lord, you're calling us into the unknown for many of us. So we pray for courage and we pray for wisdom that you would help us through the power of your spirit to name the things that so bind us. Amen. So in John chapter 11, we read that, the, that Lazarus has been dead for four days, four days before Jesus even gets there. And to the surprise of the bystanders, Jesus commands them to remove the stone that sealed the tomb. Now, the crowds were hesitant for good reason. Dead things stink, and sealed tombs keep the stink inside. But sealed up tombs also keep dead things inside. And when Jesus calls us forth into life, there's going to be some stink before there's the spring freshness of new air. So they roll the stone away, and Jesus calls Lazarus forth, and out he comes into the light. Now consider this painting by Giotto di Bandone. I think I said that right. you got to say it with some flair. Anyway, take a look at it. Lazarus in this painting is clearly alive, like he's walking by his own power. But there's also something different about him. Two things in particular. First, he's pale. Like, he's alive, but it's more like he's just coming back to life than fully alive. He started his journey of coming back to life. And in fact, later on in the story, in the narrative, he's going to need food and nourishment for the journey of transformation. And the second thing we notice is that he's not really dressed for the occasion. Dead bodies wear grave clothes. Living people wear garments for living. We don't dress like mummies. So when Jesus was resurrected, for example, there are tons of details that we don't know about. They weren't included in the Gospels. Like, how did it happen? And was it instantaneous? And did it hurt? Was there a noise? Was there a bright flash? I mean, I want to know more about that story. But what we do know is that his grave cloths were sitting in the tomb and he wasn't there because he was alive. The angel in that story even declares to the disciples, why are you looking for the living in the place of the dead? Lazarus is starting his new life, but he's still held back by his grave clothes. Many of us have started down the road of following Jesus. We've trusted him for forgiveness and new life. And part of that trust, part of this faith in Christ, is the faith in the final age, like the new creation and the future resurrection. But another aspect of the gospel is that Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, wants to begin our transformation now. He wants to heal us from our wounds and to clothe us, as Paul puts it in Colossians, in a in, in new character, in a new life-giving way of interacting with the world. Just like Lazarus, many of us are dressed in the wrong clothes for the occasion. We've been forgiven, and we might even believe that we've been forgiven in theory, but we still wear these grave clothes of guilt and shame. We've been adopted into the family of God, but we live in the grave clothes of the orphan who fears and feels out of place and experiences great insecurity. We've been declared holy And yet so many of us wear the grave clothes of sinful habits and destructive ways of thinking. So how do we break free from the grave clothes that are holding us back? How do we progress on this journey of spiritual transformation 
in the power of Jesus? Well, one of the essential steps is to name our grave clothes. In the biblical worldview, as in many cultures around the world today, being able to name someone implied power and authority over them. So in the scripture reading today from Mark chapter 5, we encounter Jesus and the man who is possessed by demons. Now these demons tried to claim some power over Jesus by declaring his name out loud. But you can't tame Jesus. After all, he's the God who makes his name known to the world. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So Jesus then speaks to the evil spirit and demands its name. And it declares, My name is Legion, for we are many. And with this naming, Jesus commands the legion of demons to come out of its host, out of the man who was made in the image of Jesus. See, in Christ, there's power when we name that which ails us. But let me try a more rational or modern example, if you like. Maybe the, the, the garrison demoniac is a little too weird. It is pretty weird. Anyway, let, let's pretend you haven't been feeling well. Uh, maybe you've been a little fatigued and out of sorts, and you can't quite put your finger on it. You tried all sorts of things, a little vitamin C, more sleep, your grandmother's secret elixir of rum and honey, unless your grandmother was Southern Baptist like mine, and maybe it was prayer and some tea. Anyway, nothing seems to work. So you go to your doctor, and she runs some tests, and it comes up that you have a leukemia, a treatable form of leukemia, but leukemia nonetheless. Now, are you happy with that news? Well, of course you're not happy with it. But by naming the issue, you and the doctor can now begin a specific course of action that will lead you toward healing. You can now know more specifically how to pray. You can make plans at work and you know, plan for some time off or some special therapies. You, you can line up support and get a team of care all around you. Naming what ails us gives us specificity and allows us to deal in reality rather than with just these gross generalizations of not really being able to pinpoint what's wrong. In the book, Stephen Smith lists five common grave clothes that weigh, weigh people down. And I think he does a really great job of breaking those five things down in ways that are accessible and understandable. And so I suggest reading that chapter of the book. I think it's great. And in fact, I'm not going to preach on that part because I'd just be kind of repeating what he was saying better than I could. But what I want to do with the remainder of our time is to focus on two questions that I think might help us get specific with how we need transformation. First is the question, what are my grave clothes? What is it that I notice is holding me back? What is the symptom? What is weighing me down? What am I wearing or living with that belongs in the tomb, but it, I keep trying to live with it out in the open in my life? It keeps holding me back. So first question, what are, the, what are my grave clothes? Second question, why do I wear them? Like, if they weigh me down and prevent me from experiencing life to the full, why do I wear them at all? Can I name their source? Is there a reason? So let me give you a personal example. In the beginning of this sermon series, um, I think it was the first or second sermon, I mentioned my sabbatical from 2018. And I told you that how previous to that sabbatical, that whole year, I was experiencing some major resistance inside my soul. And I was coming to see one of my grave clothes. 
If I had to name it, I, I would say I was being held back by a lack of intimacy. I didn't have any lack of desire to go deeper in my relationship with Jesus. And I definitely felt desire to go deeper in intimacy with the people in my life. I, I would call it more of a lack of ability. So that would be how I would answer the first question. That's how I named my grave cloth. Now, because I was experiencing this being held back or this grave cloth, I sought out a retreat center for my sabbatical where I could have uninterrupted silence and solitude along with some daily counseling sessions. So my counselor listened and asked gentle questions and listened some more. And after several hours of fairly intense conversation and prayer, this counselor came back and gave me a book. He lent me a book. And he said I would be tempted to read the whole thing. But he placed a bookmark in a chapter and encouraged me to read and reflect on one particular part of the chapter. The book was titled Counseling Adult Children of Alcoholics. And what I read helped me identify the second answer, or the second question. What I read was testimonies or case studies of different men and women who had grown up in alcoholic families. And what I couldn't believe is that even though I was reading about different people who I had never met, I was reading bits and pieces of my own story. It turns out that the reason I was wearing my particular grave cloths was largely in part because that's how I had learned how to cope with much of my pain and my shame and disappointment from what I experienced when I was a kid. That opened the door for me to begin to work with this counselor and, and, and after that, some other uh, helpful aids to, to break through this barrier that I had in my life. Now, I don't want to oversell and make it sound like my life was transformed that day, but my life did begin a new chapter of transformation that day. In being able to name my gray clothes, I could begin to get specific about how I needed to heal and how I can move forward in the grace and power of Jesus. You know, in many of Paul's letters, we see him trying to pastor various churches by giving them both a vision of the life available in Christ, and by naming the grave cloths of life that leads to death. So in one of the famous passages you're probably familiar with, it's Galatians chapter 5. And in this passage, he gets specific with some examples of what life in the flesh looks like. That is, the life that leads to death. And then he gets specific about what life in the spirit looks like. That's life that leads to life. As I read this passage... I ask you to consider if there's anything that stands out to you as an area where you might feel stuck, where you might feel shackled or enclosed by a grave cloth that really, really belongs in the tomb, not in the life that you're living in Christ. Now, I'll be reading from the message to give this familiar passage some freshness to your ears. Here it is from the Apostle Paul. My counsel is this, live freely animated and motivated by God's Spirit. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs at happiness. Trinket gods magic show religion, 
paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing people into rivals. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable appetites or addictions. And ugly parodies of community. Now, Paul's list of vices is just an assortment of the kinds of grave clothes that you might experience as holding you down in a life that is less than fully alive. It's by no means exhaustive. But if something did strike a chord with you as a weight that you recognize as a burden that you carry, jot it down or make a mental note so that you can come back to it later. But maybe nothing from that list stood out to you. Um, I know that sometimes for me, it's not always the list of vices that convicts me, although there's plenty on there that do. It's the lists of virtues that I'm not experiencing that reveal my grave clothes. So in the next section, Paul lists a series of qualities uh, that one displays when they're living free of the grave clothes. These are qualities or fruit of the spirit-filled life. And so Paul writes, But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in the orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, that deep inner peace. We develop a willingness to stick with things that we've started. And there's a sense of compassion in the heart. There's a conviction that a general holiness permeates all things and people. And we find ourselves involved in loyal commitments to others. We don't try and force our way in life. And we're able to, to gather and direct our energy wisely. Are you wearing any grave clothes that prevent you from experiencing the fruit of the Spirit? See, the process of naming your grave clothes, it, it can take time. Many of us don't reflect much about our lives beyond the surface things. I mean, at least not very often. Most of the time, it feels like we can barely handle just enough to get through the daily routine of, of the responsibilities that are right in front of us. But I want to suggest that seeking the life of Christ, that naming these grave cloths isn't some luxury that we can do if we feel like it when we have the time. I want to suggest that it's something just as important as your responsibilities at school or work or staying physically healthy or caring for someone in your life. You are precious to God. And that means you're worth it to be healthy and whole. You're worth the investment of time and reflection. And your spiritual health, your holistic health, it will also benefit those around you. And if that's not enough motivation, I mean, consider this, that the converse is actually true as well. If, if you don't care for your whole person, for your spiritual life, then you can hurt people who are around you as well. So can you name a grave cloth? Maybe you have a bunch like me, but I suggest that you focus on one at a time. 
What's one attitude, action, belief about yourself, or burden that you're carrying that you need freedom from? The next step is to sit with that thing, that burden, and to ask the second question, like, why do I keep wearing this grave cloth? Why do I keep living with this weight? You may very well need some assistance for this second question. For me, some good counseling was helpful over the years. So has prayer and seeing a spiritual director. But you know, sometimes it's just as clear as can be. Maybe you suffered a trauma like abuse or, or a broken trust. Maybe you've done something you regret. You know exactly what it is and you carry the guilt around like a weight. Maybe you had good reasons for doing what you're doing, but now you have this well-worn path of habits that you feel like you can't escape. Next week, we're going to deal more with removing the grave cloths. But for this week, let's consider naming them, bringing them into the light of reality where you can see what you're dealing with. Consider confiding in a trusted friend or spiritual companion because these sorts of things lose their power when they're named out loud, especially to other people. I want to close with this. We've talked about some very difficult things. It is not easy or fun to look seriously and specifically about the things that ail us. Going to the doctor for tests isn't fun. Going to the dentist for a toothache is no fun unless you're a special sort of twisted. But the good news is that you are not alone in this process. Yes, I could talk all about community who loves and supports you and is around you. That is all true. But I'm referring to the one who will never let you down. And that's Jesus himself. I mean, remember who it is who calls you forth from the tomb. Remember who it was who defeated the tomb and death itself. Remember who it is who promises to be with us to the end of the age, who bids us, who are weary and, and overburdened to come and rest, who calls us friends, who gives us his spirit to make us new. I'm not suggesting by a long shot that if we work harder, we're just all going to get better. But I am saying that Jesus, the high priest who intercedes for us and who loves us, this is the one who calls us forth from the shadows and into the life of healing. Let's trust him.